Welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast. This is a podcast about the church and for the church. I'm Connor, and I'm here with Mike, Shara. Uh, we are really excited to have you uh, on listening today. And today we are going to visit a topic that, revisit, I should say, a topic that, Mike, you were preaching uh, about on Sunday morning, and that is the topic of election. So we were joking before the podcast that this won't be a controversial episode at all, I'm sure. Um, but in all seriousness, we actually do want to talk about election and um, especially for anybody who's still just wrestling through this doctrine, trying to kind of get their head around what it means that God has his elect, that he's chosen his people before the foundation of the world. We just want to just um, kind of answer some basic questions about that and and specifically open up the question, can you be a Christian and not believe in the doctrine of election? So Mike, let me kind of get this started with just a really general question. Could you just kind of to to get us wading into this, could you kind of give us just a, a baseline understanding of, of how you see the doctrine of election? I know that's a massive question, but mm-hmm. can you maybe just summarize, kind of get us going in the direction that we want to go today? Yes. Thanks. That was a good intro. Thanks for teeing it up. So the doctrine of election, it's a biblical doctrine. We see the elect being addressed in the Bible. We see the word chosen, eklektos, in Greek, basically being used a lot as it results, as it relates to Christians. And the idea is that God chose you from before the foundation of the world, that it's God's eternal purpose to save some of the human race in and by Jesus Christ. And that's what Louis Burkhoff actually said. And election is the eternal act of God, whereby in his sovereign good pleasure, and on account of no foreseen merit in them, chooses a certain number of people to be saved through the recipients of special grace and of eternal salvation. Now, the flip side of that, and I didn't mention this on Sunday, but the flip side is reprobation, where those that are not elect to salvation, it's the the eternal decree of God whereby he has determined to pass some by with the operations of his grace and to punish them for their sins, so leave them in their sins. Now, here's where it gets interesting election is a biblical word reprobate is a biblical word predestination is a biblical word and foreknowledge is a biblical word right and the word i want to camp out on today is foreknowledge because that's the one that it all hinges on because that's the one that a lot of people get wrong and so they assume it means something that it doesn't mean and words matter Bible words matter, context of the Bible matters, what God says in the word matters, and what he actually teaches matters. Like God wants us to actually understand these things. So let me go first to Romans 8. And if and, if, and I would even say, yeah, just to, to say, if you have your phone in front of you, you're not driving as you're listening to this <laughs> or your Bible, I would turn there so you can kind of just follow what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mike, sorry. Right, so Romans 8, and I'm going to go verses 28 to 30, because a lot of people want to rest on verse 28 and then want to deny verses 29 and 30. And verse 28 is something that we all we all know this verse. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And here's the key phrase. For those who are called according to his purpose. What 29 and 30 are, are explaining his purpose. So Romans 8, 28 only makes sense to the one who grasps 29 and 30 or else you'll take it wrongly. And you'll say it's some universal idea that God's going to make everything work out. It's we know that all things for for those who love God, 
all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Remember what Romans 8 has already said. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. We're heirs with Christ. We have future glory, even in the midst of the groaning of this world right now. And we're waiting for our future redemption. And the Spirit helps our weakness and intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. How do we know that that will be because of verse 29 for because those who he foreknew and there's the word for foreknowledge foreknew right prognosis he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son and then it goes on in verse 30 that he those whom he predestined he called those whom he called he justified those whom he justified he glorified and you've got foreknowledge predestination foreknowledge means that god knew beforehand who he would choose and what he would do. Right. Predestination is deciding beforehand to save someone. To and, and there's gonna be some overlaps in the meaning of these words. For example, election isn't in Romans 8, 28 to 30 in the word, in but, terms of the actual word, but foreknowledge and predestination encapsulate election. Mm-hmm. So there's it, you know, there's a lot of words that God uses, but foreknowledge often will be taken this way. Well, God knew beforehand what I would choose. Therefore, he chose me based on my choice, which makes a person the determiner of their salvation, which puts them in the driver's seat, which is a faulty reasoning. If you do that, then when the other usages of foreknowledge, for example, Jesus was foreknown that he would be the Savior, and God the Father didn't look down the corridor of time and go, well, Jesus is going to do this, <laughs> therefore we'll use him as the, yeah, the yeah, option yeah, yeah. A. It right. just doesn't make any sense. If you look at all the other usages of foreknowledge in in the in the Bible, really, even, even where God is talking to Amos, I foreknew you because I chose you. The idea of foreknowledge has a choosing element, a right. deciding, a determining element. So it isn't that God looked down the corridor of time and chose us based on what we what he knew we would choose. That makes him a that makes him a responder to to um, deterministic people. Yeah, he is the initiator. So, because if God did it that way, by the way, if He looked down the court of time, all He would foresee is our hatred and our hostility toward Him. Okay, right, right. So, foreknowledge is the idea that He knew before He knew what He would do. It's His plan. It's His idea. It it all hinges on Him, and and that's the way. The Bible portrays it. So just a, a question to follow up on what you just said about him seeing our hatred. I think a lot of people would, would say, well, what's the big problem with God responding to our free choices? And that's a question in itself. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a separate question. But, but if you, if, let's say even if you granted that, that God does look and respond to, to choices made by us. You just said that he would all, only see our hatred, which really gets into what you're talking about on Sunday, which is that you... you necessarily end up in a place where you're affirming Pelagianism if you want to go in this direction that you say that God saw us choose Christ. Mm-hmm. And I I, uh, I guess I could just ask you, could you could you explain how the doctrine of total depravity impacts these things and, and makes mm-hmm. it so clear that God could never look forward and see us of our own initiative without his regenerating grace choosing Christ ourselves? Right. The idea of total depravity is not, it's not utter depravity, which means as bad as you could get, 
you're just bad enough to, to go to hell and to be sent to hell for your sins and that you can get worse, okay? And total depravity is the idea that we can do nothing to move ourselves towards God. That's the idea of, of Ephesians 2, where you were dead in your transgressions and sins. There is no life there until God makes the dead to live. Right. So it isn't you accepting Christ or receiving Christ and then God makes you born again. God grants new life to the sinner who then believes when they hear the gospel. And that's the way the Bible shows it. It's always regeneration and then conversion, then belief after hearing the gospel. And what here's the thing. If God is the responder, if, if let's just play that out. If God is the responder to man in the realm of salvation, does that mean he responds to man in everything? This kind of like open theism, like God didn't really know what was going to happen. Yeah. Oh, he knew, but he's going to go along with us. Right. And, and people will even say, well, God's a gentleman. Really, where does it say that in the Bible? Yeah. Show me, okay? Amen. So show me, you have to show from the Bible, and what you'll see is there is a linear progression of God's actions, okay? That he, he decides, then he does. Right. Okay? He doesn't do after you decide, like, okay, I saw this, therefore we're going to go ahead and do this. Mm-hmm. And what the reason why this is so important, if God is the responder, then it recasts everything the Bible says about his character. Hmm. Elaborate. Well, if I agree. <laughs> God is eternal and good and holy and just and righteous and kind and loving right. and merciful and gracious. Let's just go with what I could say off the top of my head. Yeah. If he is the responder to man, he is none of those things as the God, as the gospel, as the Bible sh- shows that because the Bible shows God overall, not God Con, um, coalescing to all and doing whatever right. everyone else wants. Right, right. And everybody wants to make a God of their own imagination, which is idolatry. Yeah. The idea is you take God as he has presented himself in the word and he has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness in that word. He has, he has revealed himself in all his glory and it is, it is our responsibility to accept the biblical record because we don't know any of these things about God and his character apart from seeing evidence in creation and God saying in the word that's not enough to save you yeah you need to know the revelation that I've given and it is sufficient right when we talk about the sufficiency of scripture when we talk about the um, you know how the, the word of God is inspired and inerrant and infallible interesting it's inspired it's, it's given by God it's inerrant, 100% true, but it's infallible. It will never lead you astray. And it's sufficient, and it's clear on these things. But what happens is, some people say, no, I can never believe that. And the reason, and I really do believe this, is because our pride won't let us let things go. I used to believe this. Before I started studying the Bible, before I started, when I was a brand new believer, I thought, of course, I chose Jesus. Right. And made perfect sense in my mind at the time. Oh, and God chose me based on my choice of him because of course I need to have autonomy and free will. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing is the Bible doesn't talk about free will. The Bible talks about the will of man being bent towards sin mm-hmm. unless and until mm-hmm. God does a work of regeneration mm-hmm. in his heart. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, that's which is exactly I think what I was kind of thinking of when you said that God would, if God were to look forward and, and respond to us, he would only, you know, and, and left it in our hands, he would only ever see us rejecting him because that's all our hearts are capable of, which is where the doctrine of election becomes so beautiful that even though my heart was bent against God in sin, 
he looked forward and chose me of his own initiative and mm-hmm. said, in time, I'm going to regenerate Connor by the Holy Spirit's power. That's the, only, that's the only reason I'm sitting here right now. You know, it's nothing in me. Right. And here's the thing. We're talking about salvation, specifically regeneration and foreknowledge and, and election and predestination and all of that. The will of man, this is key, the will of man is inoperative in salvation. God does it all with no cooperating help from humans at all. Mm-hmm. There is no life until God awakens the soul. You know, Ephesians 2, 1 through 8. Right. And gives new birth in regeneration. First Peter 1, 3, he causes us to be born again. Now, in sanctification, the will of man must be engaged in cooperating mm-hmm. with the Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Okay. But our will is always secondary and subservient to the will right. of God. Right. But what's interesting, if you go back to Romans 8, 28 to 30. Yeah. There is nothing in those verses about our will. And it's, it's not that our will doesn't exist. It's all God's activity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's, it's not that our will doesn't exist. It's that it doesn't ultimately determine our destiny. Like you do, right? Connor, you do whatever you want at a given moment. If you want to be saved by Christ, you'll be saved by Christ. But you will never want Christ unless God changes your heart to want him rather than hate him. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Which is why, and you said this, I think, so clearly on Sunday, you you end up in Pelagianism if mm-hmm. you want to reject God's sovereign election. And mm-hmm. and by that, meaning that there's still an island of goodness in people that's strong enough for them to be able to choose Christ. That's the false idea. That's the false, that's idea, the false idea. You know, and but you have to you have to say that that's true if you want to say mm-hmm. that salvation comes through our choice rather than God's sovereign election. Right. And let's talk about free will for a moment because okay. you know, we humans love to talk about free will. Let me say a couple things about it. To say the will is free is not fully accurate. The will is not fully free, okay? Luther even wrote the bondage of the will, right? Right, right. The, the will is tainted by sin. And I'm gonna repeat this, unless and until God regenerates a soul, it will never want Christ. Right. Regeneration or being born again by the Holy Spirit precedes the exercise of faith. So we do need to talk about free will. Free will is the freedom to do as we please, which everyone exercises. Every choice you make, you make for a reason. Uh, The will is your choosing faculty. But we fallen humans lack the liberty. We, We have free will, but we lack liberty. We have natural freedom, but not moral freedom outside of Christ. So what happens in regeneration is God changes the disposition of your heart and he plants a desire for himself within you. And the idea that God chooses who will believe goes right to Romans 9. Right. He's going to have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He is God. Right. And we preach the gospel. Yeah, yeah, we do. Right. And I want to get to that just in a second about does this mean that we can still offer Christ to everybody or can we not? What, you know, mm-hmm. How does that work with election? But I was just going to say regarding free will, yeah. I, I want to, and maybe you could speak to this, but we were just listening to somebody trying to explain uh, you know, a, a world in which foreknowledge really does mean that God looks down the corridor mm-hmm. of time and, and chooses you. And... They said, you know, if you don't believe this, then you're making God out to be this monster oh who goodness, is right. basically stiff arming people from the kingdom. So when we it's, were watching it's as the if notable people, pastor we were watching right, yesterday. Right, right, yeah. yeah. And it's as if people want to believe, you know, it's uh, the way he said it was people are saying, I want to go to heaven. And God is saying, no, you're not one of my elect. I'm mm-hmm. shutting you out. Right. And I think that just is so unbiblical, right. you know, and it's completely a, a botching of the way that our free 
free will, if you wanted to call it that, actually operates. Yes. Do you want to speak to that at all? Just because I think, I think a lot of people think that yeah. way. You know, that election makes God this this guardian who's blocking salvation from people who really want to come right. to Christ. Anyone who's heard me preach has heard me say this lots of times. If you want to be saved by Christ, you will be saved by Christ. Amen. And of course, it means that God changed your heart to want to believe in Christ. Right. But if you want to be saved, you'll be saved. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The most election-oriented chapter in the Bible, Romans 9, is followed by the most evangelistic chapter in the Bible, Romans 10. How shall I hear without a preacher? You need to get the word out. You need, because we don't know who they are. We don't know who the elect is. So you preach to everyone. Yeah. You preach the gospel to everyone. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just an, it's an interesting thing. What I want to get to, though, is that question, can a believer reject the doctrine of election yeah. and be a believer? Yeah. Talk I, to I, me. And we have a few minutes <laughs> left, and I think this is what we need to talk about. Because okay. some people only dialed up just to hear this one. Right. Right. So, so lay it on me. You're the one who's uh, mm-hmm. answering the questions here. Okay. Can someone be a believer and and still reject the doctrine of election? Yes, they can. Okay. But I'm going to qualify that with, for how long can they do that without getting a hard heart? Okay. I'm just going to put it that way. And and okay. Stay with me, listeners. Don't don't break your your computer after <laughs> over what I just said. I, I said yes, but I think there's a qualification to it. And what I mean by that is this. Can a believer, can a true believer not believe in the doctrine of election? Absolutely. It happens all the time. Right. Okay? right. You believe in the Lord Jesus and you're saved. You don't know all the things. It's kind of like when you're coming, you know, there's that, there's that picture when you're coming up to the gates of heaven that says, uh, whosoever will um, come shall be saved. And then you get into to the gates of heaven and you look back and it says chosen before the foundation of the world. That's a very interesting way to put it, but it's true. Once you come to know Christ, then you start reading the Bible and you're like, wow, look what God did. It blows you away even more. But let's say you say, but no, I, I want it where I, mm-hmm. then I want to be in charge. Here's the problem. If that's you, listener, and you say, I'll never believe the doctrine of election. What you've just said is, I will never believe what the Bible really teaches. The question that has to come then is, what else in the Bible are you rejecting? Hmm. Because if you reject the Bible, you're rejecting God's will. So can a believer not believe the doctrine of election? Yes, it happens all the time. And, and our understandings sometimes get a little tweaked and we believe, you know, heretical things. Interestingly, the church, it, five different councils through the years, over thousands of years, um, basically rejected Pelagius as a heretic. If you're a heretic, it means you're in the church professing something wrong and they, they called it out. Nowadays, no one even knows. And they just think they can be as heretical as they can be. And we don't even use that term heretic. But the idea of like, if you get corrected as a heretic and say you have a heretical view, it behooves you to actually let that one go and repent of it and Mm -hmm. say, I didn't realize that I was denying what the scriptures say. Now, here's the thing. Let's just say someone goes, nope, I will never do that. Again, I would ask the question, what else in the Bible are you saying that about? Because you're missing out on some things like the joy of the Holy Spirit, knowing right, right. what God did. Like you're missing out on some maturity. You're missing out on some some understandings of the word. And and the thing is, people don't study like they used to. They just got, I heard this guy on a sermon, you know, like the one you and I were listening to. That guy didn't crack a Bible open. Mm-mm. That guy never said anything about what any Bible words mean. Not at all. You know, and I'll be teaching tonight at church on the doctrine of election and evangelism and, hmm. and can a true believer reject the doctrine of election actually when this episode airs 
I will have already done this because I'm, right. I'm teaching on September 22nd tonight right. at Grace Orange. This will drop tomorrow. But the thing is, is that there's plenty of noted pastors that will just tell you things to make you feel good or because they truly believe it. And the thing is, someone's wrong because God wasn't trying to confuse us. God is not the author of confusion. God meant what he said in the word. He meant when he said what he said about foreknowledge, he meant one thing, not 15 things yeah. or two competing things. Mm-hmm. And so it's important, I think, for believers just to understand what the word means and says and really to go back to the original languages, go back to some systematic theologies, go back to church history even and realize that point. many of the, 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 the beliefs that are being held today were condemned as heresies throughout the years hmm. and crept back into the church. Hmm. This is not, you notice we haven't said Calvinism or Arminianism even once it was the first time because this is what the Bible teaches and you can categorize it however you want. What people will do though is they'll start doing the straw man arguments about it and they'll start attacking that and say, well, that that's unkind or that's this or that that's, you know, that's, that's unsound. There were people say you're leading people astray. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what the church has historically believed. This is what Paul believed. This is what the apostles believed. Right. This is what the, the, the first century church believed. This is what the church throughout the ages has believed. And it behooves us to understand what that is. Right. Right. And I think if I'm hearing you right, you're saying, there's there's room to think and wrestle and consider scripture and and of course this is a this is a really emotionally intense subject for a mm-hmm. lot of people so there's there's room for that but but what is what is going to harden your heart is coming before you even look at the text and saying whatever i see mm-hmm. i'm never going to be able to get there right because well, we have to let scripture define what we think yes and, and not our previous thoughts you know, crowd us out from being able to actually consider what the Bible's saying. But go ahead. Right. And and I think that the other thing that needs to be said is that once you see a a solid handling of scripture and you still reject it, that's a that's a concerning thing. Right. And this is not just about, well, half the church thought this and half the church thought that. Actually, no. The historic Christian church has believed strongly that foreknowledge doesn't mean that God foreknew what we were going to believe that that is a a heretical twisting Mm. that has been largely adopted today Mm. Uh, there's a great article by rc sproul called the the pelagian captivity of the church that he wrote i think back in the 80s that you know i read at least once a year because it's just really good reminder through about what the bible teaches about church history about how things have gone you know in evangelicalism and in the church and how loose people have gotten with the word of god and the word matters. The word is authoritative. The word is binding on our consciences. And so we need to believe what it says. And again, if there's someone that's confused, I would say we all should be always growing. That it doesn't mean every doctrine is up for grabs. It means that we need to handle every doctrine accurately. Second yeah. Peter 3.18 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that mean but believing what the Word says and growing in our knowledge of God, even our understanding and leaving behind childish ways, leaving behind even twisted ideas about the Bible and saying, I want to embrace everything that God says and I want to have a high view of God because we tend to live with too low a view of God and we want to explain things so that people feel better. Yeah. Like, 
I don't want to go to 15 different people and tell them what they want to hear. Right. We want to say, this is what the Bible says. And we love it because it, it's God revealing himself to us and his all his glorious ways. Yeah. So we want to praise him for it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, Mike, thanks so much. Super mm-hmm. helpful. And, and listeners, if you're wanting more, there's a sermon that you can reference from, was that the 19th, Mike? Uh, yes. September 19th, 2021. There's also going to be a, a posting from what you're going to teach tonight uh, on the 22nd of September. So you can reference that. Uh, as always, you can write in with additional questions, follow ups. We'd love to hear those things. Uh, until next time, though, we hope that you have a great week and uh, we are praying for you and love you. We'll talk to you next time on the Ordinary Church Podcast. Have a great day.